Underfunded is a project of the Public Interest Law Center. For more information on the fight to fairly fund public schools in Pennsylvania, visit fundourschoolspa.org. Today's episode is the first in a two-part series within a series about public school underfunding all over the state. More on that in a moment. It's, it's like, why do we have to sit here and try go down to the ends of the earth just to find a frog so I can dissect it and get a grade? Like, that shouldn't be my problem. You know what I mean? Like, uh, why, why do I have to go the extra mile just to succeed when people are given it automatically. I'm Melanie Bavaria. I'm Meg Sainsbury. Welcome back to Underfunded. So that was Kayla Dames, who's a senior in the Allentown School District. And it's just really important that we hear from students in a podcast like this because, you know, we talk to teachers and advocates and superintendents but we don't often get to hear from the students themselves about their experiences. And Kayla's experience is just heart-wrenching and just shows what students need and how the lack of funding impacts the actual experience of going to school. I was just running through my own high school experience in my head, which was a good experience in an adequately funded school where we had what we needed in beautiful new buildings. And not only the privilege that's inherent in that and how it's affected the rest of my life, but just the injustice of that, that some of our kids in Pennsylvania are going to schools like Kyla's and other ones are going to schools like the one I went to. And if education is supposed to be the backbone of our society, I mean, that it just doesn't add up. It doesn't make sense. I just kept picturing our school, you know, when we'd walk in the first day and everything was shiny and clean from the summer with you know, it was just fresh and beautiful. And the way she talked about it was just so foreign to my experience as a student that it just should shock all of us, I think. But that it also really impacts the the feelings of self-worth of students, um, I think was another real takeaway. It makes students feel like the system doesn't believe in them. The schools don't believe in them. The state doesn't believe in them. And we don't believe in them. That's the message that she and her fellow students are getting every day. Not because teachers are not doing their best, but because they see the fact that we don't invest in them as a state, but also that across the, a mile away, right across the border of the district is a totally different school that's sending a totally different message of how how much students are worth. Right. I think about in the local moms groups on social media that I'm a part of, you know, there's always the posts about, hi, we're moving to the area and we want to know where the quote unquote good schools are. And these posts always blow up, first of all, because what a loaded question. What's a good school? And undoubtedly, people who can afford it always point these people to the suburbs, to the wealthier schools. And again, we've talked about there's underfunded schools in the suburbs as well, but they're pointing people towards the adequately funded suburb schools. And the way that the broader community here in Pittsburgh talks about the schools that are not well-resourced is just so degrading and heartbreaking to the parents that live there. Not only the ones that are stuck there, but the ones that choose to live there for different reasons. Just saying that school is terrible, that school will fail your kids. When you hear Kayla talk, it's not that those things aren't necessarily true. I mean, our, our premise is that students are being failed by the schools. But when you just listen to the community speak about it, I mean, I don't know how a kid would feel good about where they go to school when there's this broader narrative that these schools have it and these schools don't. These ones are good. These ones are bad. 
And then kids start to attribute that to those students are good, we are bad. It's just, it's so pervasive in the community conversations. The fact is that 86% of students in Pennsylvania attend a school that is underfunded. So that means wherever you live in the state, you know kids that go to a school that doesn't have enough money. It doesn't matter if you're in a big city or a rural community. This is an issue that is all across the Commonwealth and is really hurting our kids. So what we decided to do was take a road trip, sort of. I mean, it's a pandemic and it wouldn't be super ethical or responsible for us to actually hit the road across the state. But we went to look at schools that we aren't familiar with, ones that aren't in Pittsburgh or Philadelphia. Now, we're going to talk about those cities. We're going to get there because they matter, too. But this episode is about the ones that don't get talked about so much. The suburbs, the rural communities, other underprivileged communities that are being underfunded by the state. What we found is that funding is an issue across the state. It doesn't matter whether you're in an urban school district, a rural school district, uh, or even some suburban school districts. It seems like the issues are surprisingly similar. So we're starting today with Allentown. Looking at the state as a whole, we thought Allentown was a particularly good example of what underfunding looks like across the state. Allentown's a city, but it's not the biggest city. As is the case all over the state, Allentown's demographics are changing. It's part of the 222 Latino Corridor, named after Route 222 that goes through Easton, Bethlehem, Allentown, Lancaster, Lebanon, York, Harrisburg, and Gettysburg. These areas together account for more than 50% of the state's total Latino population. And like other towns all over PA, the schools in Allentown are suffering. Allentown Public Schools have a total enrollment of 21,179 and a funding shortfall of $5,250 per student. Remember the fifth grade school teacher from Allentown that we talked to in the first episode? Well, he's back and his name is Michael Facinetto. So it's a very urban area, lots of poverty, um, lots of transient population, people come and go, and it's really the city of Allentown and that's it. And then Saucon Valley, where my wife is, is kind of the suburban, typical suburban district. Lots of wealth. Um, Saucon Valley Country Club, which anyone who golfs is, knows about Saucon Valley Country Club, very exclusive place. Then if you look at a district like Allentown, you have um, just the city of Allentown. It is the Allentown City School District. It has no suburban area outside of the city limits of Allentown. It has a huge urban core. Uh, high-density housing, multiple families, multi-generational families. And just as many of our cities on the East Coast have over the years, um, the high-paying jobs, the industry, the business has all eroded away from the downtowns and moved into the suburbs. Um, and what you're left with is a lot of old uh, single-family row houses that have been converted into these multiple-family dwellings. Um, many of the people who gravitate there cannot afford, there, there is no affordable housing um, in many places anymore. So they are stuck in these, um, you know, two, three, four unit row houses that used to be old single family homes. So now you have more student population because you have people gravitating to this area. Unfortunately, the people that gravitate to that area are people who cannot afford to live in a different area or even a different part of the city. So that also means that for the same amount of space, the amount of property taxes has stayed the same while the amount of kids who are going to school has increased, meaning less money per kid in Allentown. Allentown is just the city of Allentown. When they raise taxes, Allentown has an extremely high tax rate um, in the top 25% in the state as far as what they tax their, their residents. 
again, it's a lot of residential. It's a lot of multifamily units. It doesn't have the industry that some other places have because it has no suburban sprawl. It has no industrial parks, things like that. It's, it, it's not able to catch up to the deficits that have built up over the years. So the funding disparities and, and the, the districts who are suffering under hold harmless and the lack of equitable funding disproportionately serve the largest numbers of students of color, uh, English language learners, you know, it's two of our highest need groups. So the big issue though in Pennsylvania is the way we fund schools. We base it on property taxes. The state of Pennsylvania only contributes on average about 38% of a district's funding and the rest of that comes from how they tax the property in their district. But let's just take that average. Uh, let's take 38%. That means that 62% comes from local funding, AKA property taxes. But in Allentown or other places in the state, the amount that the district can get from local property taxes is not rising at the same rate as the population, the amount of students um, that that district serves. So really every town is just doing the best they can. They're raising taxes, they're trying to keep up, they're doing all sorts of things, but it's not helping because the money is not there. These are high poverty districts and really you can slice it up any way you want, but there's just not enough. Like we've we've always been I'm gonna just say we've always been poor. This is nothing like we're not like just ungrateful kids that are sitting here like, oh well why this this and that, like we want this and we want that. No, we we've we've as students of the Allentown School District, we have always been underappreciated, we've always been underfunded, we've always had to reach above and beyond, although we didn't have the same opportunities as other students in other school districts or just like in neighboring in neighboring neighborhoods. That's Kayla Dames. She's a senior at William Allen High School in Allentown. She's also the president of the Black Student Union there. Kayla and her peers have always known that students in neighboring districts have had things that they never have. But ever since COVID, the disparities have become even more obvious. And she and her fellow Black Student Union members have been particularly focused on the issue of inadequate and inequitable funding in Pennsylvania as a social justice issue. It just didn't make sense when we were sitting here trying to literally scouring the earth for computers, but Parkland and Emmaus and everybody else in, in even Bethlehem started before us because they had their computers already. And okay, there you go. You already have the materials and everything you need to um, continue your education, but then you have other kids sitting here, be, like not able to do that just because they don't have a laptop. That shouldn't one one materialistic thing shouldn't stop a, a, a student's education. That shouldn't like financial issues shouldn't be the problem of somebody's of a, a student. That's that's what I've seen in Pennsylvania in general. Like depending on where you live, you will always be looked down upon and treated less than. Like it's all about the state. The state. They determine who gets what as far as funding. So obviously there's some type of something that they have against either lower class areas or what, but it's like they put all this funding into these schools that already have everything. But when we sit here and are struggling to find funding, whether it was when, whether it's for trips or um, like I said, textbooks, just anything that we would need to help us, like, it's always a problem. We're not treated the same. 
these needs existed for a long time, not just since the pandemic started, but it seems like now, finally, more than ever, people are actually paying attention. We have rat infestations all the time. There's always roaches and stuff. It's terrible. And and the teachers do make an effort to clean. I know teachers that clean and vacuum in the classroom every day, regardless of if there's students in there or not. So. They, they do make an effort to try to keep it clean, but it's just the fact that it's not. This might shock you, but this isn't a rare occurrence. Many teachers have shared similar stories of the extra free labor they do, just to maintain a basic standard of safety for their students. It's always somebody either gifting something to us or we have to go find money for it. It's never just something we have on hand. That's, that's usually how things go. It's bad because other people don't have to do that. It's, it's like, why do we have to sit here and try go down to the ends of the earth just to find a frog so I can dissect it and get a grade? Like, that shouldn't be my problem. You know what I mean? Like, uh, why, why do I have to go the extra mile just to succeed when people are given it automatically? You wouldn't think that we wouldn't have textbooks that are up to date as far as, like, the information, even just, like, the physicality of it, like, we the textbooks that we use are literally falling apart most of the times they're not enough for everybody where so then we have to sit here and share textbooks amongst our classrooms sometimes we have to sit in groups just to share the textbook a lot of the times it's not okay for us to take the textbooks home so that we can have um if for like our homework assignments and stuff like that where as compared to like the you know um wealthier school districts where they already have like iPads and computers to be able to access that where we most of the times when teachers or you know even students like when you're working in groups and stuff they where you need access to a computer and you would have to use it at home a lot of the times students don't have any access to internet so most of the time they would have to either go to a library or use a friend's computer or just stay after school for a couple of hours and try to get that done there so I mean, just thinking about my high school and how I never thought about, you know, where that stuff came from. We just had it. I mean, I graduated in 2002 and we still had, I mean, computer labs whenever we needed them and computer carts. And I I mean, I graduated high school super literate with technology and dissected a million things. And I, I just never thought about it. It was just there exactly like what she's saying. And obviously you know I've been successful and I've had everything handed to me and that's absolutely a privilege um and it it started with my school and really the ability to be able to afford to move there because that's the bottom line right yeah and I think I think what's probably shocking to people is that what Kayla's describing I I don't think is rare in fact I think that's much more common than people realize across the state and probably across the country Yeah, absolutely. I mean, when I was working on my education master's, I was in a bunch of different schools for field work. And my husband also has education master's, and he was in a bunch of different schools. And I mean, the stuff that teachers are doing on their own, the the slack they're picking up, the things they're spending their own money on. And just as Kayla said, like the things that you need a grant or a gift to do, like the only way your school can do X, Y, Z is because some corporation decided they wanted to put their name on it. Uh, I mean, how does that 
make the kids feel too, like about their self-worth and about the value of their education in the community. And also the rise of things like donors choose. Like how many teachers are now putting up things about for donors choose or GoFundMe or any of these other things to kind of raise money because they're trying to fill the holes that the state isn't filling. So it's obvious that Allentown is really struggling. Kayla made that really clear. What about all these other small cities over on my side of the state? Um, anyone from Pennsylvania knows that the East and the West have a totally different vibe. There's this Pittsburgh versus Philly dynamic, um, Mid-Atlantic versus Midwest. But really what we found is that the public schools and their needs that are going unmet are really basically the same across the state. Erie is all the way up in the Northwest corner of the state and it's shockingly familiar to Allentown. It's a smaller city, about 93,000 people. It's very urban and has a high percentage of students in poverty. I talked to Jay Adams. He's the former superintendent of Erie Schools. He's the superintendent right now of a district that straddles the New Hampshire and Vermont border. It's actually the first interstate school district in the nation, which is kind of neat. When he thinks back on his time in Erie, he gets really emotional. He spent most of his time there fighting to even basically fund the schools? I was kind of um, left with a budget when I took over a superintendent that was uh, in really tough shape. And I, at that time, I really didn't have a good appreciation for how the state funding situation had sort of led us to that point. Uh, we were under the impression that it was, it was largely because of our own um, financial mismanagement. And the more we dug into it, and that was certainly part of it. You know, I don't want to speak ill of previous administrations, but for decades, um, the um, the district, in hindsight, probably was doing the best it could given the dis disparities in the funding situation to, to do what it needed to do. Uh, but when I when I took over, we were facing about a $26 million budgetary shortfall in, in the year I took over. Jay and his team worked hard, trimming everywhere they could so that they couldn't be accused of any type of money mismanagement. Jay credits the current superintendent, Brian Polito, a CPA who became the CFO at the time, with getting things in shape. What this showed was that there was truly an inadequate amount of funds. They took drastic measures, laying off 300 teachers. And at one point, on a trip to Harrisburg, Jay said that it was suggested that he should just, quote unquote, do that again. We had to bring all the people that didn't have tenure, all of our new teachers, into um, it's like an amphitheater on the top floor of the administration building, and they didn't have permanent contracts yet. So the first round of layoffs would obviously be, they didn't have any protection through the union agreement or anything. So we um, we had to let them all go or tell them that they weren't going to have jobs in this coming year. And so sitting in, in the in the seats uh, when, I made, when I delivered this news were two uh, teachers, young teachers who had been students of mine. Um, and I knew that they had just recently gotten married. They had recently purchased a home, and I, I don't think they were pregnant yet, but, but they were just starting, a, they were just starting their, their life together. And they came up to me afterwards, because it was obviously a pretty gut-wrenching sort of thing, and they, they kind of patted me on the back and said, Dr. Badhams, I, you know, this must be really hard for you. Yeah, I just told them they weren't gonna have jobs. Um, so I barely made it back to my office without breaking down. <clears throat> but anyway, so this, this guy told me to go back and fire some more people. Cause he, so you can imagine 
what my thoughts were. I just think it's so sad. It's just profoundly sad. Um, and I think so many people blame superintendents uh, and school boards and school management, and he mentioned funding um, shortfalls at the at the misman you know money being mismanaged. But I don't think it's mismanagement if you just don't have it. Yeah, Jay talked a lot about how hard he worked to really trim any fat he could, basically so that Harrisburg could not accuse them of mismanagement and to sh to show them that. You know, we've cut everywhere we can, and we still don't have enough. I mean, they had a gym that was condemned. Students could not go in it because of the water damage and the plaster falling from the ceilings. And neighboring districts were building, you know, tracks and stadiums and new schools and renovations. And here they have buildings, rooms and buildings that students can't even go in. It's just, I mean, the inequity is just glaring if you just take a second to look for it. Next time on Underfunded, we continue our road trip. We'll hear from folks in Slippery Rock, Duquesne, and some rural communities across the Commonwealth. Underfunded is a project at the Public Interest Law Center with grant support from the William Penn Foundation. For more information on the fight to fairly fund public schools in Pennsylvania, visit fundourschoolspa.org.